We are in a teaching series that's going to take us all the way till December called Spiritual Formation and Practicing the Way. Our hope for this teaching series, especially for those that are potentially considering us to be your future church home, will give you a window into who we are as a community and how we'll practice the way of Jesus together. And so the last two weeks, we've unpacked our first cultural value, which is Christ is our core. If you've missed those, you can catch up, but it's about Jesus. Christ is our core. Anyways, you can catch up on your own. Uh, today, we are starting uh, part one of mission is our mandate. That is our second cultural value. Mission is our mandate. Have you ever been sent to do something or asked to do something that you knew you didn't know how to do, but you said yes anyway? I think that's a very characteristic thing maybe of us as millennials and Gen Z. I remember a few years ago when I was youth pastoring, uh, one of the things that we did as a youth ministry is we would take students to the Yukon and assist a local church there in running a VBS. And so that was our team. A few of us in this room were here back in, I think this is 2018. And so this particular year, there was an influx of high school students that wanted to come on this trip. And so I needed to get my class four license so I could drive a 24 passenger bus. All, if you've done youth ministry, you know how key these 15 seater vans are in youth ministry. But I needed, I needed to get my license. So I got my license um, right before we actually went to the Yukon. And so we had a large group of people. And so, you know, we go there, it's Whitehorse. The actual camp is about three hours away from Whitehorse. And so there's this 24-passenger van, kind of like a handy dart bus, and all of us kind of load in. We go to the camp. It's a week long, um, just loving on marginalized kids. It was awesome. Jesus professed Jesus. Sorry, the kids professed Jesus. Their Lord's here. It was awesome. Classic, like, kids, men. It was awesome. So we come back to Whitehorse. Now we have like a day or two to actually relax as a team. And all of our high school students have put in so much work, they deserve it. For whatever reason, they, someone from the church took back the 24-passenger bus and they left me with a 15-seater van, um, but I had to attach a trailer to it. And so, you know, I thought, yeah, this is fine. Like, that's pretty easy. You just hitch a trailer onto a, a thing, right? Um, and so I just said yes. And the people that uh, were kind of supporting us at the church, like, they left for some reason. So we literally had the building to ourselves. Um, and so... For the most part, yeah, this is that, that's the van. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going to the pool and all the stuff in Whitehorse. So I'm having to do like double trips. Whitehorse is very small uh, if you've never been there. So it's fine to do multiple trips. And so the airport is also quite close. And so that's when I needed to attach this trailer on. And so they just told me kind of in the moment, like, this is how you do it. And Sometimes I'll just be like, you know, nodding as like, and for people that know me, you know when I'm just nodding, right? Or like, I had no idea what they were saying, but I was like, yeah, totally got it. And so I hitched it. And so I put students in and obviously putting all of our bags in this trailer. And to preface, it's like a three minute drive from where the church was to the airport. Joel, were you there? Were you guys there that year? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, no one knows about the story <laughs> because, uh, yeah. So anyways, I'm driving. And then, you know, I'm going through a light and uh, I had to drop one person off at the airport like earlier because they were having a different flight. I can't even remember what, what the reason was. And uh, I got to the airport and it was fine. Trailer's still on the vehicle. So I'm driving back and it's like early in the morning, like 5 a.m. So there's like no cars around. 
Um, and then all of a sudden, like I hit a bump and then the trailer comes off and then starts dragging on the ground. But luckily I, I put like a chain around it. So the, the trailer is literally dragging and there's like what my, the other leader there was in front of the church. I guess, he, you know, he wanted to wake up in the morning, but he saw all these sparks coming from the back. And uh, I didn't even, I, I knew it came off. So I was like, oh, like, what do I do? Like, I'm, I can see the church. So I just keep driving. I don't want to like, I don't want the students to know what I did. I don't want the pastor of the church to know what I did. So anyways, I pulled in and like my friend helped me to like put it on and we never talked about it until this moment. Um, so I, I, I'm a little bit scared. Like we as a church, we were gifted a trailer, but we're not using it yet because I'm also kind of scared. Um, so we're just hand bombing everything right now. So I have my own things to work through in regards to trailers. But I think all of us can relate to some extent where sometimes we say we get something or we understand something, but we don't actually fully know what that means. And I think one of those things in the Christian life is this understanding of mission. I think sometimes when we hear the word mission as followers of Jesus, one of two things comes into our mind. Number one, short-term missions trip. We hear mission, that's like a week or two somewhere doing like God's work, um, whatever it is, and then we come back or we usually have like a, a day or two to relax. If we go to Thailand, it's like we, do, we like went a few, like Owen and I went uh, with our previous church and it was awesome helping out in orphanages and teaching English and we had a couple weeks to, a couple days to relax at the end and come back. Sometimes we think that is what it means, what mission means. Or maybe it's for the select few that like decide to move and become missionaries and they move to like, you know, on the other side of the world and they like live there for like long term. Maybe it's like three plus years or maybe like forever. But maybe it's one of those two things or something within that paradigm of mission that we as followers of Jesus today in the 21st century think when we hear the word mission. And that isn't totally wrong. I just don't think it's a holistic understanding of what mission is. And that's what this cultural value is all about because it applies to all of us. Not just in the seasons where we decide to go on a short-term missions trip or the few that decide to live as missionaries, like we are all called to mission. But a key aspect of understanding what mission is, is having a Trinitarian understanding mission. I know that's like one of those bigger wordy words uh, in, that we sometimes hear in the church. Trinitarian simply means like we're referring to the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's Trinitarian, that, that, that there are three persons within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in our teaching text that uh, Jason read this, read just a few moments ago, we have to keep in mind kind of what's happening in that text. And so Jesus who is kind of saying the words that he said in the text. This is post-resurrection Jesus. This is Jesus that defeated the grave Jesus. This is the Jesus that is now alive and is appearing to his uh, disciples and people after his crucifixion. This is the Jesus that is alive and well, defeated sin, the death, the grave, all of that. That's who is speaking to his disciples right now. And so our key verse to understand for this cultural value is verse 21. But we need to understand what's happening in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So picture this. We see the disciples cowering afraid in this locked room. Catch that detail. Door is locked, okay? 
These are the same disciples that have done life with Jesus for the past three years. That means three years of seeing Jesus perform these miracles, three years sitting under his teaching, three years of just hanging out, chilling, shooting the breeze with their rabbi. Three years. And now this is the same group that have seen Jesus calm the storm, see Jesus bring dead people back to life. These are the same people in this room, doors locked, by the way, and they are cowering out of fear of the Jewish leaders. Sometimes we can look at this and be like, these guys are soft. What is going on? Why are they so scared? But we have to keep in mind, like, yes, they're following Jesus, they're disciples, they, like, profess him as Lord and Savior, all of these things, but, like, they didn't know that he was alive. The last time that they saw Jesus, he was crucified on the cross. And so they're like, where next? The Jewish leaders, if they're going to do that to our rabbi, our teacher, our Messiah, they're going to do that to us. And so they're scared. They're hiding, locked away in this room. This verse is, is this window into where they were at in their lives. They were consumed with grief, fear, and anxiety. And so on the day of Christ's resurrection, they, did, they, did, they didn't know he was resurrected yet. Again, they're, they're scared. They're, they're like, what's, what's next for us? They're in total isolation out of fear for their own lives. And what's interesting here is, again, that little detail that the door was locked. It almost seems like that's such a kind of random thing. But it seems like not only, obviously, the door was locked to that room, but it seems like their hearts were also closed. Their, their hearts were locked away because they weren't sure if they believed, was Jesus who he said he was? He said he was going to come back from the grave, but like, he's not here. It's day three. He's not here. And so what are we to make of the situation, seeing these disciples cowering, free or afraid, doors locked? I don't think if we were to look at verse 19 as it is by itself, to think, yeah, these were the guys that started the church 2,000 years ago. I don't think we would think that. It's like they're, they're so afraid, so scared. And you're right. There is no hope present in this room. The door was locked, but their hearts were locked also. And so what changes? What changes in this room that is there is no hope present? What changes? It's the presence of Jesus. And so as verse 19 continues into verse 20, it says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Whenever we like look at the gospels and we see like the post-resurrection Jesus appearing to people, I can't help but wonder if he's kind of like, peace be with you. You know, like I'm, I'm alive, I am well. Like sometimes we can look at the text and just think it's so robotic, but it's like Jesus was a person. You know, even like in some of the stories where we see him like on a boat with a cushion, like, you know, he liked to relax. Like, and so as Jesus appears in supernatural fashion, because the door was locked, there was no way in, Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. So good to see you guys. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the whole room changes. The whole room shifts. They see their rabbi, their Lord and Savior, and, and something about their faith is unlocked. It was the presence of the living God. A few weeks ago, uh, I went to Portland for a pastor's conference. 
And for those that don't know me well, I am quite introverted. And I actually, I really don't like going to like social, social like pastor things. I just, it's just, it's not my thing. Uh, I like doing my own thing, keeping it low key. Um, but, you know, a few of us from our, oh yeah, that's right. I went with these three guys. We were getting ice cream. I uh, forget this place. It's right, a straw, salt and straw. Is that it? Yeah, Lynette knows. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is really good. Uh, so anyways, um, we go to this, we, we were in Portland for like four days. And the Monday night is optional. It was the pastor's social. And so I told these three guys, hey, I'm okay if we don't go to this. I'm okay if we actually get to know each other. I actually didn't know two of the guys here um, prior to going on this trip. So as an introvert, I was very anxious about it. I'm like in a car with two random dudes. They love the Lord. They're awesome. Uh, they're, they're awesome. Anyway, so I'm like not excited about this pastor's social. And so I totally had Pharaoh's heart going into this, man. Like I was, I was locked away. I was like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I was telling them when we arrived to the church, it's like, hey, I'm okay if we leave early. You know, like I'm like, I'm good. You know, like I know the Lord. I got a great community. Like I don't, I don't need more friends in my life. You know, I was just, that was, that's on me. I got to work on that. So anyways, we roll in and uh, I was honestly a little bit shocked because uh, at this conference thing, which was for pastors, they, they spent a lot of money on like the catering. So like the food was like crazy. I saw like the food, it was crazy. And then people are like holding like wine glasses and kombucha. Like, like, and so like someone comes like, hey, like grab whatever you want. Like we came late because um, I was pushing for that. I'm like, I don't want to be early. Um, but they were like, yeah, we got bottomless wine and uh, kombucha. Uh, for those that don't know, also our, what, who we're affiliated with, the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada, when you're, when you're ordained, you actually can't consume alcohol. But some of the other guys that... I mean, we could probably take that photo off so people don't remember them. But uh, <laughs> some of them are like, hey, so what's, what's your stances on what? I'm like, dude, go for it, bro. Like, it's all good, man. So anyways, it's chill. But anyways, so um, they're going, getting, the, getting, getting whatever they're getting. And so I go to the, get food because the food actually looked good. And I was, like, I was quite excited. I was like, okay, there, there is a God. I'm here. So I get in the line and, you know, the lineup and I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just kind of in line, just, you know, just waiting, just waiting. And then I just got convicted. I was like, okay, I got to talk to someone that I don't know because like, that's just, you know, I got, I got to exemplify Christ here. So I'm like, you know, there's, so I mean, I'm finally at my plate. I'm like putting food on here and all the food's kind of, you know, on like a classic table that like we have there, like a, and it's quite long. So there's someone, again, there's someone in front, someone behind, someone across. And so I'm like, okay, I'll talk to this person across. I was like, hey, man. Uh, <laughs> I was like, where are you from? <laughs> you know? And he mentioned somewhere in the States, and I realized, I'm like, oh, my geography's so bad. And in that moment, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from here. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, bro. Uh, <laughs> and then he asked, like, oh, where are, you, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Canada. And then b- behind me, and again, I've been in line for like 15 minutes. person behind me, Canada. And then I like turn, and she's like, I'm from Canada. I was like, nice and then then she turns to the other guy who's like i'm gonna hijack this conversation and i was like sorry bro so i started talking to talking to her and uh i was like oh you know like where from canada are you from she's like i'm from vancouver i'm like i'm from vancouver you know and so we have this moment we're like oh we're in the same city and it was a really cool connection because uh she's like the lead pastor at this uh, local church um just off uh oak and 44 anyway really cool connection uh and i got to know her and her husband um and uh, introduce her to like my friends and they knew people. So it was like really cool for like us few Canadians. The only time ever in my life I feel like hey, I'm Canadian, you know, like was in this moment at this conference. 
But it's funny because, you know, we're in line for quite a while, but what changed was being aware of each other's presence, right? And that's what happens in this room where these disciples realize, oh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Lord. That completely changes who they are when they were made aware of God's presence. And so I think, you know, today, one of like the biggest tensions that uh, as the church we're dealing with is so many Christians are living their lives like the disciples in verse 19. They're living their lives as if Christ was not present. They're living their lives if Christ was not alive and well and defeated death and all of that. And you might be thinking like that's that's a big statement, Jared, that you're dropping. You know that we do record this and put it on Spotify and all of these things. That's a big statement to put out. But the tension is, it's like for people that don't know the Lord or have walked away from their faith, it's like that's, there are bigger consequences there if we don't start living and exemplify who Jesus is in our everyday lives. As followers of Jesus, it's, it's easy to live metaphorically like these disciples in verse 19, like with our faith locked away if people don't know that we're actually Christian. And it's, it's fine. Like, there's tensions and scenes. Maybe that, that doesn't matter. But we need to live our lives as followers of Jesus, knowing that he is seated on the throne and that every part of our lives is worship. Even a, a real slight language shift for us is not just simply calling, like, music just the worship or, like, a worship leader. It's like all of our lives is worship. Like, when we meet together, that's worship. When we give, that's worship. When our whole lives is worship. And this is where that Trinitarian understanding actually fits into what we're saying here. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, post-resurrection Jesus, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And so what we see here is Jesus imparting his very presence to his people. And that's us. Like we're part of this commissioning and this impartation. Jesus commissions his disciples to continue the mission that he has already started to make disciples of all nations. And we'll unpack that more next week. But to fully understand this commissioning for us as sons and daughters, we have to understand the Lord as being a triune God. Triune is another word of like Trinitarian, like three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we believe that the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is one God, yet there's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So with that framework and understanding, we look back on this text, we see the Father has sent his Son, Now the son who was sent is now sending us to continue what he has already started with the power and union of the Holy Spirit until Christ returns. Like we are partnering in what God has already started. So we see that happen in the the book of Acts, which is just short form of Acts of the Apostles. Like in one sense, we're continuing what's already started 2,000 years later. So this means we, a.k.a. the church, are the continuation of the Son's sentness. We are continuing what has already started. And so what is our role as a church in this mission? 
since our shared vocation as Christians is to make disciples of all nations, we also have unique occupations. And so for me, occupationally, yes, I'm a pastor, or we could even categorize my occupation as clergy. I'm a clergy worker. But um, James working at VGH, being a healthcare worker, our vocation is shared. Um, Every time I said this in pre-service prayer, but because like, you know, we're planning this church with, with, I mean, so many friends and friends of friends, I often just like, just when I use examples, I often just say mechanic because like, I was like, again, like we've done life first. I'm not going to, it's too late. I already said, you said him being a red seal mechanic. He is, his vocation is the same as mine. It just looks different. And I think today, more particularly, we actually need a return of like anointed people and even people that have been trained, um, at, you know, in Bible college, like, like theologically trained to actually be back into the marketplace, um, working actually other jobs. And, you know, so for example, like Emilio, myself, um, Danny, Owen, Claria, like we all went to Summit Pacific College, you know, but like, you know, in our local context, it's like, you know, Emilio's starting to become a lawyer. Danny's in the creative scene, freelancing. Owen works at Bodwell at a high school. It's like we're fulfilling God's commission together because there's probably more people today that aren't willing to walk into a church space. And so we really need to remember and reorient our minds that the church is not a building. It's the people. If we got kicked out from here, that doesn't change who we are and what we do. Um, We will start running community groups soon. We're still figuring that out. Um, But that's what it means to do life together. And that's what it means to be on mission together. Uh, I want to quote a theologian from the 20th century. He was um, a missiologist. So his, like, his heart beaded for understanding mission as Christians. His name, was, his name was Leslie Newbegin. And he expands on kind of this issue and fragmentation in our understanding of mission. He says this, We have made it appear that we have regarded the person who gives themselves to the service of God and people in politics or social service or research as having a less central part in God's purpose than those who give full-time service to the church. In the operations of missions, we have made it appear that we regard a doctor in a mission hospital as doing God's work in a sense in which a doctor in a government hospital was not. That is a bad subculture that has developed in the church over the years. Um, I remember in one of our community group spaces this past year, um, I remember, Daniel, you were, I know, you know, I didn't even write this in my manuscript. It was just coming. We made eye contact. But I remember, like, we were having a conversation at your place just with community group. We are talking about occupation, vocation. And, um, you know, sometimes in a youth group setting, you know, when people decide, pastor, I'm going to go to Bible college. It's like we celebrate that person, but we don't often celebrate the people that are being faithful and going to UBC or going into trades or whatever. And like, that was actually a profound moment for me. I think it was like last year where I was like, oh, you know, I was part of that. Where it's like, there was no malintent, but that is like this subculture that has just, I've just been part of where we actually don't celebrate with one another in our unique giftings. um, Because we don't need more pastors. We need more people following the Lord and being obedient to what he's calling us to. Because as believers, we're all called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, both in word and deed. So maybe my role is helping in the teaching because 
that's just my role, but maybe a different role is working at six pack volleyball and just like being God's, yeah, I'm shouting you out right now, Christian. It's like shouting out the people that are coming to play volleyball and just like loving them well. You don't have to be preaching the gospel, right? But just loving them well. And then after a while thinking, man, Christian's awesome. I like this guy. What's he about? And it's like, I love the Lord. You know, like who knows what our obedience leads to. And so as Christians, we really need to begin to understand our role of sentness, that we are simply continuing in what the Father has started in Jesus Christ. We are simply continuing the mission. It is a baton pass until Christ returns. So what is your role in God's mission? What is our role as a church in Metro Vancouver?